Our text today is from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This is in your bulletin. If you're on the live stream, this will show up on your um, screen. And uh, if you have a physical Bible, that's awesome. Um, you can look at that. So, Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him and them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God. In Delible Grace Church, welcome to the storm. This is the most difficult season in the life of our church, and though there is some resolution, it's going to be tough for a while. Many of us are hurt and angry, confused, anxious, and stressed, and it's going to be like that for a while. So how shall we think about all that's happening in our church and to our church Who do we direct our anger toward? What do we do with our fears? Where do we look? About 10 years ago, a film called All is Lost came out. And this is a movie about uh, Robert Redford, or it's starring Robert Redford. And he plays a sailor who is alone on a sailboat. And the sailboat breaks down in the middle of the ocean. He's alone. His boat is taking on water. His SOS calls go unanswered. And he finally has to abandon ship. He climbs into a life raft and he watches his boat sink into the water. And he drifts on the ocean with hardly any food or drinking water. And you can imagine the desperation that he feels. One of the unique features about this film is, uh, well, first, it only stars one person. There are no other human beings uh, in, in the movie. And the second is that this film barely contains any dialogue. There's a total of 51 words in this uh, one hour and 45 minute film. Most of the words are spoken as a voiceover that reads a letter uh, that reads a letter that the character put into a bottle when, that he threw into the water. Um, and the most significant words that are spoken are when, this, when Robert Redford's character, his, his name is just the man or our man um, in the movie, um, the most significant words that are spoken are when the sailor is in his raft and he finds out that his water supply is tainted with salt water. And he speaks two words. The first is the F-bomb. He just yells the F-word into the sky. And he, another word is when he hangs his head in despair when he realizes he has nothing to drink. He hangs his head and he says... God, God. And maybe it seems like we're on this boat that is sinking. And we might be in the expletive phase right now. 
Maybe you're not cussing, but maybe you're only able to feel the hurt and the sadness and anger. But we don't need to stay there. We can cry out to God. As ragged as our voice may be, we can still cry out, God. Uh, This morning, we are looking at this well-known incident in the Gospels. This is actually a story that appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, all from a slightly different angle. And we read Mark's account just now. And this is a scene that's set for us. There's a time, which is the evening. Um, it's, uh, It's dark. This is after a full day of ministry that Jesus and the disciples did. There are the characters, there are these disciples, these young men who spent much of their time on the the sea. They were fishermen and they knew the water and the region well, this uh, Sea of Galilee. And then there is Jesus, their leader, who is exhausted and he is knocked out from all his work. And then there is the location, like I mentioned, the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a large body of fresh water. It's situated at one of the lowest points of the region. This is 700 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by hills and by mountains. Some 30 miles east of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon, which rises more than 9,000 feet above sea level. Now, geography might seem really boring to us, um, but it matters this time around because it plays a part in today's story. The, if you guys know geography and meteorology, I don't, but I had to read up on this. The descending air from, the descending cold air from Mount Hermon often meets with the ascending warm air from the Sea of Galilee, and this causes inclement weather. And the Sea of Galilee, where today's story takes place, it was known for its frequent storms. The disciples, these were seasoned fishermen, um, who experienced the stormy weather often. And they've been through many storms on the sea. It was not a big deal for them to sit through storms. And we need to keep this in mind because it helps us understand what's going on in today's text. A great wind comes upon them. The waters stir. And this is not a normal storm that the disciples are in. They think they're going to die. This is what we see in verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples have awakened Jesus because they're scared. Their boat is taking on water. It was being battered and tossed about by the wind. There is terror in the disciples. They think they're going to die. And that may be what it feels like many, like for many of us here at IGC. We're in the darkness of the storm clouds. We're filled with fear and concern. We wonder if it was worth it for us to invest our lives in this place. Or maybe your concern isn't so much the church. It's your job or your relationship or your portfolio or your troubled parent or child. These two are the storms that we find ourselves in. Just like the disciples found themselves in a storm. The disciples, they find Jesus on the stern. He's fast asleep. And the stern, if you're familiar with um, how boats work, this is where the steering occurs. If he's at the stern, Jesus should not be sleeping, especially during a storm. He should be steering the ship because they really need this right now. 
teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? These are words spoken by desperate people. If you imagine the scene, you might be able to hear the raw frustration as they speak. Jesus, we are going to die. And how are you able to sleep through this? I bet that you've asked the same question of God before. I know that I have. God, I know you're there. But what in the world are you doing? Because it sure seems like you're doing nothing. If you were, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. If you were, you'd give me a way out. If you were, you'd tell us exactly how to get out of this place. And here's what we see in the story. Jesus, being Jesus, if you read the Gospels, you know that he's a very frustrating character. Because he very rarely meets the expectations of the people that listen to him and follow him. More often than not, he's frustrating and maddening. And he causes you to scratch your head at what he does. And here, Jesus, in this story, he takes his time in addressing the storm. It's not that he's unaware of what's happening. It's not that he's not already doing something. It's that to us, it's that to these disciples, it seems like he is asleep. That he doesn't care. And he lets the boat start sinking. God is asleep, it seems. And if you feel that way in your life, then you can know that you're not alone. The Bible tells us so. Um, Listen to these words from Psalm 44. This is a psalmist writing. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. What's the psalmist saying here? He's saying, wake up, God. Do you not see the predicament that we're in? Why are you hiding yourself? Have you forgotten the pain? Have you forgotten the suffering that I'm in? This is in the Bible. So the question we ask is, why? Why does God allow us to suffer through this? Why does he let us become fearful? Why does he let us start sinking? The answer is in verse 40 of Mark 4. And Jesus answers the question with another question, with two questions actually. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? This storm is revealing something about the disciples. It's revealed that they didn't understand. They still don't understand who Jesus really was. And Jesus lets them go through the storm. He lets them feel the fear and terror so that they would understand the depth of their own unbelief. They were questioning the character of Jesus. And their question was one of doubt. What was underneath their question was this Truth, that Jesus, what they thought, that Jesus didn't really care all that much about their welfare. It revealed to them where their hearts really were, what they really trusted in. To them, Jesus is the guy that 
sleeps through their most terrifying moments, they're thinking. And there's a lesson here for us. When the difficult times come our way, we need to pay attention to how we respond. It's fine to fear to feel the fear and the anger and the hurt and the sadness. God gave us emotions for a reason, but they weren't meant to drive us. Rather, they're meant to give us insight into ourselves, insight into how we affect other people, and ultimately insight into how we relate to God. What you fear, what you get angry at, what you rejoice in, tells you what you really care about. And a storm in Mark 4 revealed to the disciples their lack of faith in Jesus. Jesus didn't call them just to be students. He called them to be followers. And in this moment, Jesus is using this time, this storm, to shape the disciples as followers who would need the faith to continue on in their lives as followers of Jesus. They would need a lot more faith than what they have in the boats. There's a really interesting passage in the Gospel of John where Jesus is speaking to Peter, Peter who was in this boat. Um, John 21, Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Listen to that phrase, where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter would one day go to somewhere much more terrible than this storm. He would die a terrible death as a martyr for Jesus. And it would take years of listening to Jesus and following Jesus for Peter to, number one, to know and trust Jesus enough to follow him into this horrible death that Jesus had prepared for him. And number two, for Peter to know himself well enough to work on himself and to submit to God's work in him so that he would become the type of person who would actually follow Jesus into death. This is what Jesus is doing, not just to Peter, but to all the disciples. And this episode... Terrified of death and in the storm was one of the moments where the faithlessness of Peter and the other disciples was pointed out. They had to know how weak their faith was. And indelible grace church. This season in the life of your church will be wasted if you allow yourself to get stuck in the sadness or the anger or anxiety. Because how we feel about the situation is secondary to what God is doing in our church. It's secondary to what God is doing in your heart right now. So go ahead and feel those feelings, but do not wallow in them. You are not meant to be stuck right there. I was talking to a friend a few days ago about a uh, failed investment. If you've been following the markets this past week, um, both the stock market and the crypto market, um, you know that things are not awesome. Um, They're actually very terrible. 
and um, this friend of mine, he lost a significant amount of money, money that will not be recovered. There is no chance that it's going to be recovered. And I was talking to him. He was feeling, as you can imagine, um, terrible. He felt awful. This was a lot of money. And he shared with me something that I really appreciated. I appreciated his honesty. He told me that he wasn't sure what the takeaway from this loss was. It wasn't that he should have done more research because he did a lot of research before he put money into this particular investments. It wasn't that he should have paid closer attention to the markets because his investments struck him with a speed that he could not react to. It caught him off guard as the investment fell, fell as investment fell apart. So, what good could come from the situation? He didn't know. And this was my response to him: that this crash, it was necessary to loosen the grip that money and perceived financial security had on him. What happened to him was awful. But God decided it was good for his soul for him to lose that money. It was good for his soul to feel that fear and anxiety. And I told him the worst thing is not that he loses all his money. The worst thing that can happen is that he doesn't pay attention to what God is doing in the situation. And that he misses out on the opportunity to trust God more and trust himself less. And this is what Jesus wants for the disciples in the boats. To trust God more and to trust themselves less. And this is what God wants for Indelible Grace Church. To trust him more and trust ourselves less. In this situation, see if there is any faithlessness in your own heart. Do you doubt that God is working here? Do you doubt that God can make good of this mess that we find ourselves in? Then lift up your eyes. Look at Jesus. Because Jesus is in control. Learn to trust him better. Learn to trust him with more of your life. Help your friends trust him. Learn to entrust your hurting, fractured church to the shepherd who has been leading us all along. And then wait to see what he does. The good news is that Jesus does do something in response to their cries of help as his disciples are fearful. Jesus does something. He's been in control all along. He calls out, peace, be still. And the storm stops in a moment. The sea is as smooth as a mirror. Jesus exercises the authority that God alone possesses, the authority over winds and waves and nature. Jesus knew all along that things would be fine. There was never a moment that he was not in complete control. And this is why Jesus is able to sleep through the storm. As a human, Jesus experienced the same physical exhaustion that you and I experience. And as God, Jesus knows that nothing will be out of his control. And so Jesus, he sleeps. He sleeps like a baby. Jesus sleeps because he trusts the Lord. 
and he sleeps in the presence of his disciples, he chooses to be with his friends on the boat. He chooses to do that. And here's another thing for us to draw from the story, that Jesus is with us in our situations. Jesus is with our church right now. It's been 12 years and five weeks since this church had its first service at Marshall Elementary. And every step along the way, Jesus has been with us. And though we don't know what the coming weeks and months will look like for IGC, Jesus knows and Jesus cares. He will carry us through. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus will shepherd us? He will never leave us or forsake us. He's with us on the stormy seas. He's with us in our broken marriages. He's with us in the stinging loneliness of singleness. He's with us in our infertility. He's with us in the chronic pain. He's with us as we watch the mental breakdown of our family members. He's with us as we watch our portfolios get battered. He's with us in the depression. He's with IGC even when it seems like we are sinking. Jesus is with us. Jesus is here. And he knows. He knows the fear in our hearts. In Jesus we have a leader who's with us when we are shaking. While he himself is not shaken, Jesus knows our fears, and he himself does not fear. So here in this story, Jesus speaks. The winds cease, and there is a great calm. But there's something really strange about this story. Notice that the disciples, they are not relieved. In one moment, they are scared for their lives. All they want to do is stay alive. And then a great calm comes upon them. But they're even more scared now. Verse 41, they were filled with great fear. As scared as they were in the storm, there's a greater fear that falls upon them. They've witnessed the power of Jesus. And if it wasn't clear to them before, it is now that this is no ordinary man. Even nature obeys him. And now the disciples are beginning to get it. Verse 41, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Today's passage is not about how Jesus will calm the storms in your life. That may be true. Maybe he will. The main point of the passage is that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus has authority over all things as God. Even over nature. Even over the situations in our lives. Even over our hearts. And he wields that authority with such loving compassion. When the disciples begin to understand that Jesus is powerful beyond their imagination, they respond with the only appropriate response, which is fear. They don't go, oh, how cool. How fascinating that this guy can do that. 
I'm going to go to church 90 minutes a week in response to that. That's not the response of the disciples. They respond with more terror. They respond with a holy fear. And fear for them is understanding who Jesus is because Jesus is no mere man. Jesus is not a key to our comfortable life. As Pastor Michael preached last week, Jesus is the king. And what do people do to kings? They bow down to kings. They submit to kings. They trust kings. On that boat, the disciples could either unwillingly submit to the storm that would destroy them, or they could willingly submit to the one who controls the storm, the one who will rescue them from destruction. And we can trust him. We can trust him because Jesus himself went under the storm of God's judgment on the cross. He let himself be destroyed for our sake. And if we would trust this king with our lives, with our sins, what else can we trust him with? The main point of this passage is not that Jesus can calm our our storms, although that is true. The main point is that Jesus is Lord. And when we understand that, then God will instill a holy fear in us. And if you fear him, then everything else will look small in comparison. If you trust him, if you fear him, everything else will look benign. And there is a fear that we should all feel. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 118. Let those who fear the Lord, that should be us. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What's the psalmist saying? I do not fear any man. I do not fear any circumstance. Because I fear the Lord. D.A. Carson, he says this in his commentary, The right judgment of Jesus cannot be made by following convention, for Jesus supersedes the powers of nature. Confining Jesus within such categories and stereotypes is to misunderstand him. Acknowledging his supremacy to such categories is the first act of discipleship. And I'll add this, that acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and that he is a good Lord is the first act of worship. That's what we need to do as a church. How are we to respond to the storm here? Look to Christ more and more. Trust Him. In your grumbling, trust that God is sovereign. In your doubts, look to Christ and ask Him to help your unbelief. As your friends are complaining about what's happening as they complain about the situation, as they complain about whoever is up here, point them to Christ. The storms will come again, but Christ is steady and true. We can't spend our lives trying to avoid the storms. They're going to come. And IGC will go through more storms. And so will you. God's desire for your life is not that it will be a pleasant life. His desire for you is that you would know Jesus, that you would follow Jesus, that you would delight in Jesus and trust him no matter what, storm or no storm. 
tonight, um, your elders will address you in tonight's congregational meeting um, and will address you frequently in the coming weeks and months. But the truth is that we don't know what lays ahead for our church. And we don't know what will happen in our leadership, really, long term. We don't know what the makeup of our church is going to look like. We may not know how to get to where we need to go. And that's okay, I think. If we sink, then so be it. Churches die all the time. If we sink, then so be it. As long as it causes us to trust Jesus more. Indelible Grace Church, what do we need in this moment? What will we need in the coming months? We do not need more stability. We do not need the storm to subside. We'll be working to provide some stability, but that's not the ultimate end of what we do. The ultimate end of all that we do is that we would love and trust and worship Jesus. It's that we would follow Jesus. That's what we need. We need the presence of Jesus. May that be our heart in the coming weeks, in the coming months. May that be our hearts in five hours as we meet again as a church. I wish that I could tell you that your pastors and your elders and everyone on leadership is awesome and they'd never do anything wrong. I can't. I can tell you that Jesus is our good leader, that he's worth trusting and following. May our heart be set on him. May our eyes be set on him. I want to end our time with a psalm that captures the heart of today's passage. And I think it's um, one that we should lean on in the coming months. This is Psalm 107. And listen to the psalmist, and I'll close with this. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. The wit's end that we're at is a good place to be right now because it's causing us to reach out to God. May we do that. May we do that. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, we, we had hopes 
for ourselves, for our lives, for our church. And maybe those hopes have not come to pass. We had trust in ourselves, maybe. And we've found ourselves lacking and wanting. We had confidence in other people, perhaps. And those people have let us down, including the ones speaking right now. Who then can we trust? Who then can we trust? You've given us that man, the man Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, the one who can calm our storms. But even when he does not calm our storms, he calms us. He teaches us to calm, be calm in his presence. And I pray that as IGC goes through this tumultuous time, that our eyes would be fixed on you, that we would walk away from this situation, loving you more, trusting you more, worshiping you more, because that is our ultimate purpose. That's our ultimate purpose. God, make this true of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.